This is the Thorn Podcast, the show that navigates the complex world of wellness and explores the latest science behind diet, supplements, and lifestyle approaches to good health. I'm Dr. Robert Roundtree, Chief Medical Advisor at Thorne and Functional Medicine Doctor. And I'm Dr. Frank Lipman, New York Times bestseller and Functional Medicine Doctor. As a reminder, the recommendations made in this podcast are the recommendations of the individuals who express them and not the recommendations of Thorne. Statements in this podcast have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Any products mentioned are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Thorn Podcast. Hope everyone is doing well. Bob, how are you doing? Um, well, I'm not doing bad. I mean, we're, we're going into uh, a deeper phase of lockdown here in Colorado, unfortunately, because the, the COVID cases are going way up. So more time at home and more time on Netflix. Um, so for me, the big thing was I finally got around to watching this amazing movie called My Octopus Teacher, which I understand that you've you've watched as well. It just uh, it, it was a mind boggling thing that I thought had um, had a lot of implications about how I practice medicine and and what it is that's involved in and in maintaining optimum health, which is this kind of core issue that we're. We're deeply connected to nature, that we're, you know, we're not separate from nature, apart from nature, that that the natural world is what we evolved from and that we haven't really disconnected from it. So that was that was a pretty amazing learning for me that I'm still um, still contemplating. Right. No, it was actually a very cool documentary, I've got to say. And it's obviously being a South African and knowing where he was and the beach and the area where he was going into made it even more special. But yeah, what is interesting also, you know, from what you said, I learned right in the beginning of my training in Chinese medicine, you learn that we humans are a microcosm of the macrocosm, um, which is, you know, the earth, the planet, the world, and this whole climate change issue and how it's affecting health. No one's really addressing that uh, in a big way yet. And I think that's going to be, one of the major issues in, in how we deal with problems as we go forward. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But anyway, let's get back to our subject today. So today we're going to be talking about leaky gut or increased intestinal permeability, which is which maybe not anymore was controversial at one stage. In the early days, Bob, I remember when we used to talk about leaky gut, traditional doctors used to like, you know, so what the hell is that? It's all nonsense. And I still get some feedback from patients who tell their docs that leaky gut is, is nonsense. But I know you're big on research. And you know, I've seen tons and tons of research now, um, uh, papers on you know intestinal permeability, the importance of the gut barrier, how you can measure leaky gut. So um, do you want to start off and just... Go, yeah. you know, telling us a bit about a lot of the research because um, it seems to be almost universally accepted now. Uh, oh, I think so. I, I first heard about it uh, decades ago from, um, from one of my mentors who I know you know, Dr. Leo Galland, who's an internist in Manhattan. He was, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, Leo's a really brilliant guy. And, and I remember him going to conferences and talking about leaky gut and even 
back then the the integrative medicine alternative medicine community was saying well what is this what are you talking about and i wouldn't say we were suspicious it just it was a new thing back then and you can imagine that gastroenterologists were poo-pooing it were saying well that's ridiculous the the thing is they they were those gastroenterologists were not aware of a pretty good body of research literature showing that babies up to about one year of age have really uh, extensive leaky gut, that that's a, a kind of normal part of development. And, you know, what do we mean by leaky gut? We just mean that the, the barrier of the gut uh, is not 100% efficient at, at keeping out uh, proteins, fragments of foods, and fragments of bacteria. So those fragments get into the bloodstream. Yeah, I spent, you know, the, the biggest misunderstanding I here see today is, you know, when, when we talk about um, a leaky gut, and, and it's also the way I used to think about it too, you know, you think about, well, there are holes in the wall yeah. and things are leaking yeah. through it. And it's so much more complicated and it's such a, yeah, it's a much more sophisticated type of barrier system that um, the gut wall is in because it is letting you know you have to absorb nutrients into your gut anyway so it's not that um, it means you've got this fixed barrier that has holes in it and you know whether it's metabolites of bacteria going through or foods going through it's not as simple as that i mean there's a sophisticated wall and barrier that some you know has a function it's not just a physical barrier it's a functional wall which is quite sophisticated and and affected intimately by the bacteria in your gut. So do you, do you want to sort of just talk a little bit about that? Because I think there's this misunderstanding or a simplistic understanding that you've got a leaky gut, you've got little holes in your intestine. And I think that's where gastroenterologists, you know, have a bit of a problem with or or, or someone will go and get a endoscopy and, and say, well, everything's fine. The endoscopy didn't show any damage there. You know, first of all, it's microscopic. And second of all, it's not necessarily holes in the wall that is causing a leaky gut. It's really what uh, we call the tight junctions between the cells. So the, the cells that line the walls of the small intestine, and that's, that's really where most of this quote, leaky gut phenomenon occurs in the small intestine, duodenum, the ileum. These tight junctions between those cells are opening and closing all the time, right? So we, we need a certain amount of openness, as you said, as part of the normal absorption of nutrients. So that's fine. The problem is that when those openings, which you can think of as sluice gates, right? You know, sluice gates that can allow fluids or or molecules to come through, if they get stuck in the open position, then things will flow through that shouldn't be flowing through. And kind of the classic one is something called endotoxin, which is normally found in bacteria that line our gut. But if we get an, an overgrowth of bacteria that have these endotoxins, that sets off this response pathway, a signaling pathway in the cells that line the gut. And they actually make proteins, one of which is something called zonulin. And zonulin actually instructs those tight junctions to open up. It opens up the sluice gates and allows these molecules to flow through. And in the case of endotoxin, 
If that is flowing through the sluice gates, the immune system sees that and thinks the body is under attack. Now, in, in a full-blown scenario, that attack is what's called sepsis, and the person can go into septic shock. But what we're talking about is a very, very low level of it. Small amounts of these highly inflammatory substances get in the bloodstream, and they cause this low-level inflammation. And, and the reason that's a problem is because it, it can lead to obesity and fatty liver among other things. Yeah, and I think from what I, you know, what I see over all the years of doing this, I would say altered microbiome and some damage or some poor functioning of this gut wall is probably the commonest cause of inflammation in the body. Um, and, and it's not also unfortunately recognized enough as this primary source of inflammation. But I do think for everyone to understand that it's a functional, you know, it's, it's when you treat a leaky gut, you're improving the functioning of the gut wall. Um, and I think that's an important uh, concept for people to understand. It's not that you necessarily creating a barrier or like building an extra physical barrier. You're improving the functioning of, 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 a, of, of this wall, which is very important. So it actually, opens and closes these gates in a more efficient way. Um, and unfortunately, the way we live our lives today or the default choices we have in our lives today predispose us to a malfunctioning of this wall from the processed foods we eat, the preservatives and additives, I'm sure, make a huge effect on this wall. Many of the drugs that we take which we, we think are benign from antacids to PPIs to non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, all of which are used to commonly affect this. Um, antibiotics obviously affect your microbiome, which will then affect the gut wall. But, but you know, once again, I, I can't stress enough. It's about improving the functioning of this wall rather than erecting a solid barrier. Now, I, th I think you made a point earlier, which is that they may come to us and have a long discussion about leaky gut and what to do about it. And then they go back to their gastroenterologist or their family doctor who says, oh, that's nonsense. And, you know, I think three decades ago, it would have been harder for us to have a comeback to that. We would say, well, I know this is true. I just feel that it's true. But now I can say, well, there are thousands of papers, thousands of medical journal articles that have discussed this. It's very well proven beyond the shadow of a doubt. There's no question about it. So when people say that, I say, well, your doctor's just not familiar with the research. You know, that's that's the bottom line is like, your doctor says this doesn't exist. Your doctor is not paying attention because this is not alternative medicine. You know, this is not fringe medicine. This is well established and it's in the mainstream gastroenterology journals. And there's probably an article being published on it every week. Right. And, and probably the commonest or, or one of the commonest causes of malfunctioning of this gut wall is an altered microbiome. And we talked, I think, in a podcast or two ago about probiophagia, which are these viruses which actually help protect the lining of the wall. I mean, there's, there are all these fine layers. There's this mucus layer. But as far as I understand, and correct me if I'm wrong, you know, Rob, I always reach out to you for the research. Isn't, aren't probiophagias or, or don't probiophagias 
play an important part in this functioning of this wall or the protection of the wall rather. Yeah, well, at least therapeutic ones, there's a whole range of these bacteriophages. So all a bacteriophage is, is a virus that feeds on bacteria, right? And there's good ones and bad ones. So not all bacteriophages are beneficial, but the ones that are beneficial, the ones that are, that are now being used in commercial products are actually designed to feed on unhealthy bacteria like E. coli. So the, the whole idea is that if you use them therapeutically, if you use them like a prebiotic, they decrease the population of unhealthy bacteria in the gut, and that allows the healthy bacteria like the lactobacilli and the bifidobacteria, that allows them to grow more robustly. And when you have more lactobacilli, more bifidobacteria, those bacteria actually help to heal up this problem with excessive opening of the tight junctions. Right, which you know, makes me think of you know, the other misconception that a lot of people have that all viruses are bad, all yeast or fungi are bad, all bacteria are bad. You, know, you have good and bad, and that's the same in the gut. And it's not only a bacteria, that, uh, you, not only these good bacteria that you have in the gut, but you have good fungi and you have good viruses. And the probiophage are these these good viruses. I hate good and bad, but I think that's, you know, just to make it understandable, it's, it's, it's more about the balance because everyone's going to have, you know, some bacteria, fungi or viruses or parasites in there. We all do. It's, it's if you have a good amount of the good guys or, or a good amount of different strains, that will be protective. It's all about this balance rather than good and bad per se. Well, I think an example of that is the yeast thing that you brought up, which is we know that certain yeast like Candida albicans are highly inflammatory and can actually disrupt the gut barrier and increase leaky gut. They can increase the opening of these tight junctions. On the other hand, they're beneficial yeast like brewer's yeast or baker's yeast, uh, sac, which is Saccharomyces. Yeah, love Saccharomyces. Uh, take it myself, took some this morning. And, and we also know they're beneficial mushrooms. I eat shiitake mushrooms several days a week, and I take mushroom extracts uh, as a dietary supplement. So that's a good fungi, right? So there's, there's good and bad fungi, there's good and bad viruses. So you, you brought up candida as a, as a cause of leaky gut. And that's definitely been my experience that um, some type of bacterial overgrowth, fungal overgrowth, uh, or this imbalanced microbiome causes the leaky gut. And often, you know, SIBO is, everyone knows about SIBO now, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, which is relatively easy to diagnose with a breath test. But to me, only gives a partial picture. But SIBO, uh, it's very rare to see a patient with SIBO who doesn't have some aspect of malfunctioning of this gut wall or leaky gut or whatever we want to call it. So candida for sure, but SIBO as well. And, and, I, and I think we've spoken about it before, you know, the, the four or the five R program in functional medicine, remove, replace, re-inoculate, repair and relax. To me, it's always about using these antimicrobials first. Uh, you know, we discussed it uh, in, in, 
previously, but that's why, you know, whether I, I do testing for SIBO or Candida or not, I'll always start someone with antimicrobials or, or antifungals. And sometimes I use drugs too. But to me, that's always the first step. So you're removing, you're, you're the first R of the five R's, which is to remove, remove things that are irritating. And I would, you know, I'd add to that by saying, well, what are probably the most common things in our society that people are eating or taking that contribute to leaky gut? And that would be alcohol and non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, ibuprofen, naproxen, aspirin. And I'm, I'm not saying never drink and I'm not saying never take an anti-inflammatory. But, you know, the people that drink relentlessly that have several glasses of wine every day or several glasses of liquor every day and then they get a hangover and take ibuprofen for their hangover. Well, that's a perfect setup for leaky gut. Perfect setup. Right. And, and before we take a short break, I just want two comments. Uh, one would be a high sugar diet. Even a high-carb diet can often create problems. And PPIs, I see this all the time because there's so many people I see have some heartburn or gut problems. They go to their doc and they're just given Nexium. And once you start taking Nexium or any of these PPIs, Asafex, Nexium, or any antacid for a while, it tends to alter the microbiome, which will then lead to leaky gut. But we do need to take a short break now and we'll get back with some questions when we return. Hi, this is Dr. Frank Lipman with the Thorn Podcast. Do you have a health topic you'd like to be covered or a question you'd like to be answered on the show? Reach out to us at Thorn Research on Instagram and we'll try to cover it in future episodes. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the show in your podcast app. Stay up to date on the latest in medical research, the biggest moves in the health and technology industry and more when you subscribe to the Thorn Podcast. Thanks for listening. Okay, we're back, folks. And now it's time to answer some questions from the community. Our first question this week comes from a listener who asks, why is leaky gut not talked about more in the mainstream? Well, I, yeah, I think the problem is the name itself. Leaky gut, it just sounds like a flaky, leaky, flaky. So, you know, I think mainstream docs, they hear that and they go, oh, you've got to be kidding me, leaky gut. So, you know, the first thing we've got to do is is uh, when we're dealing with these mainstream docs is talk about hyperpermeability, you know, or our dysfunctional tight junctions in the small intestinal wall. So I think we, we have to talk about it in a little bit more technical way to these docs to get them to discussing it. And we just need to generally, gently uh, and generally introduce them to the research. 
So when they say, how come I've never heard of this? Like, well, you know, here's a paper that you may want to know about. And I think some of the most profound research has been done by Dr. Alessio Fasano, who's, uh, isn't he at Harvard right now? I think he moved from University of Maryland to Harvard. Yeah, I know he's at Harvard, I think. He's somewhere in, in Boston, yeah. Yeah, so very respectable researcher. I I can bet that someday he'll win the Nobel Prize. He'll win the Nobel Prize for the research that he's done on this. He he, the first thing he did is he helped people understand the big role that gluten plays in leaky gut for a lot of people, not for everybody. But, you know, he helped us understand that gluten is an inflammatory food for many people, even people that don't have celiac. And that's kind of a core issue here. Yeah, I agree. You know, I've been doing this test called the Wheat Zuma from Vibrant Wellness, which is very interesting because you can do a celiac test, which often comes back negative and people are still sensitive to gluten. What's your take on these tests? Because, you know, obviously these tests are relatively or sort of in the infancy and, and maybe not as sophisticated as we'd want them to be, but I, I'm finding them quite helpful. Well, I can't say I've got a lot of experience with that particular panel. I do a lot of testing for celiac disease, you know, which is the, the test for a, a substance found in gluten called gliadin. So you look for anti-gliadin antibodies. You know, if that test is full on positive, then that's the gold standard for celiac disease, which is a condition in which the person could never eat gluten again. Right. And so the distinction, you know, that we need to make, and I think that that's why you're doing the more elaborate test you're talking about, is to fine tune this, is to say, okay, here's the big differentiation. Is this somebody for whom gluten is potentially deadly, or is this someone who just doesn't tolerate gluten very well? So the person that doesn't tolerate gluten very well, they may be able to eat it from time to time, whereas a person that has celiac disease, they can never eat gluten ever. They they need to be very, very strict. And I, I, I can see the advantage of the kind of test you're talking about, which is that it, it helps to fine-tune that. Yep. And it's because basically the concept is it's not just the gliden that can be a problem. It could be other proteins in the gluten. And you know, some people yeah. aren't positive for gliden. So but let's get into um one of the commonest questions I get asked and it comes from a listener too, is how do I know if I have leaky gut? What symptoms should I have? Well, my experience has been most of the time people are going to have some bloating and some gas and you know irregular bowels, maybe even some reflux. There usually are gut symptoms, but I've seen many, many patients who have no gut symptoms but still have leaky gut. I mean, they, they'll present with inflammatory um, symptoms in other parts of their body, whether it's their skin or their joints, um, or maybe an autoimmune disease. But it's, uh, but sometimes these same patients can have leaky gut and don't have any gut symptoms, which I find quite interesting. What's your experience on that? Yeah, well, the the kind of classic situation is the person who eats food and then a few hours later their joints ache, right? And a lot of times people don't know that there's this pattern going on. You know, they come to see me because their joints ache or because they've got a skin rash. And then I put them on a uh, on a medical food, you know, 
um, you know, like a pea protein powder and have them do that for a few days. And they say, boy, my, my symptoms are much better. Um, so, you know, I've given them this functional food, you know, I've used something like uh, MediClear from Thorne, you know, that's, a, I think, a really good one. And they just rest their gut for three days and they say, boy, my joint symptoms cleared up or my skin cleared up. You know, what's the evidence that this sort of thing is real? There's a condition called dermatitis herpetiformis. Fancy name for a skin rash that looks like herpes. The person gets little blisters in their skin. These people are very sensitive to gluten. And it's been shown that they're actually antibodies, you know, against the gliadin and against something called tissue transglutaminase, which is showing up in their skin. And they have no, they're no gut symptoms. What? So, you know, you started talking about, you know, how we treat it. What supplements do you use when you try to improve the functioning of the gut wall? Well, by far the best research supplement, uh, and I know you'll agree with me on this, is L-glutamine. People say, what the heck is that? Well, that's something you're already eating. I mean, it's in, if you eat protein, you're getting glutamine. It's a very abundant amino acid, a building block of protein. Uh, normal part of our diet, and it's basically fuel for two major cells in our body. One, the cells that line our gut, and two, immune cells. And, you know, whenever you work out, especially if you work out vigorously, you're depleting your body of glutamine. You're depleting your body of glutamine. So it, it's very helpful uh, in the scenario where a person has leaky gut, either they've been diagnosed by a practitioner or they suspect it, uh, to go ahead and take a glutamine supplement. It's very safe. Uh, it's non-toxic. It has zero side effects. And what kind of dose we're talking about? Generally, for, for significant leaky gut, you need about five grams a day, which, you know, it's tasteless. It's easy. Uh, I agree. And, and I, I usually use up to 10, you know, five to 10 grams a yep. day. So it's usually better in a powder because you, you know, you'd have to take a a lot of capsules, but you know, once again, I, I absolutely agree. You know, I think glutamine is probably the most important. There are some others uh, supplements that I use. I use some immunoglobulins, whether it's colostrum or um, other immunoglobulins. Sometimes that helps. Fish oils, I think, are important. But ultimately, you need to see, always look for why it's happening and treat the underlying cause, which is usually related to medication you're taking, your diet, um, uh, uh, altered microbiome, whether it's SIBO or candy, you know, other um, bugs that are causing the problem. And uh, I, I think that's important. But I do, you know, I have a, one last question for you, Bob, because, um, you know, sometimes these problems are difficult. And uh, now, sometimes you change people's diet, you know, you use antimicrobials, you use glutamine and fish oil and, and, and immunoglobulins, whatever, and sometimes people still struggle. I've been hearing lately about peptides. I don't know how, what experience, you know, I'm quite intrigued by peptides. I start, started researching at peptides when I got into the, my anti-aging book. I've been hearing about this peptide, BPC-157, from a couple of people. Have you ever heard about it for leaky? I mean, it's, it's very intriguing because peptides are basically strings of amino acids. It's pretty benign. And BPC-157 actually comes from gastric juices. So I have not used it yet. I'm pretty intrigued by it. 
you know, they used to use it for muscle repair and tissue repair, but people have told me that it, it helped their gut heal. Any any oh. information or anything you know about this BPC one five seven? No, it's a new one. It's I mean I've certainly heard about peptides. I've used peptides in the past by injection for uh, for immune support. Uh, one called the brand name was Zadaxin. It's called uh, Alpha Thymosin or Thymosin Alpha One, etc. It's still around, useful. So you know there is a good track record with other peptides. I don't know this particular one though. Yeah, this is the one I've been hearing about, and they make it orally now too. They put it in, um, so I'm going to explore that, and in a couple of weeks, months, we'll get back to all of you and let you know. But uh, you know, peptides are quite intriguing, mainly because they're pretty benign, and if they are going to be helpful, you know, we should try explore them. But that's always great. I mean, we can do another five podcasts about leaky gut it's such a fascinating yep. subject which all of us have to some extent some level of malfunctioning in our gut because of the way we live our lives so folks we're going to wrap up now thank you for listening thanks bob it's always great chatting to you all right see you guys later thanks for listening to the thorn podcast Make sure to never miss an episode by subscribing to the show on your podcast app of choice. If you've got a health or wellness question you'd like answered, simply follow our Instagram and shoot a message to at Thorn Research. You can also learn more about the topics we discussed by visiting thorn.com and checking out the latest news, videos, and stories on Thorn's Take 5 daily blog. Once again, thanks for tuning in. And don't forget to join us next time for another episode of the Thorn Podcast.